Hey guys, this is your host, Natalie Allport, and you're listening to All In. On today's episode, we have Zach and Kyle, owners of Strength Ratio, a North Carolina-based gym, as well as online coaching and programming for strength athletes. In this episode, we talk sustainable training, dealing with injury, building patient athletes, and even some controversial topics in the fitness and strength worlds. Without further ado, let's go all in. So thanks for joining me on the show, guys. Um, how about you guys introduce yourselves and your backgrounds and strength ratio? So my name is Kyle Pachanko. Uh, this, this is how it goes. Yeah, you, yeah you're doing it. <laughs> my name is Kyle Pachanko. Uh, I uh, actually went to school for business, but studied a lot of exercise science in my off time and met Zach about four years ago now. And uh, we've kind of been working together since then. And since graduating college, got my CI. Yeah, been working with athletes through strength ratio uh, and helping people uh, come back from injury and get stronger and progress towards their goals. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my name is Zach Greenwald, and I founded Strength Ratio um, two and a half years ago, or a little over two years ago. And uh, Kyle and Becca, who's not on the call now, but uh, is one of our co-owners, um, we all came together a little over a year ago. So that's where we are today. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's great. So did you guys start off just as kind of the gym in, in North Carolina, or did you um, get right into the remote programming right away or beforehand? Well, so we met at a CrossFit gym, and there was um, some progressive stuff happening in the form of rehab as we apply it, where it's not really like, you know, your banded stretches and eyes wise, T's use only, and um, no squat or deadlift protocols. It was a very progressive, forward thinking chiropractor who is. Uh, implementing some really cool things that I think drew us both to this gym um, where we originally met. Uh, so that was a, a CrossFit gym that wasn't a part of Strength Ratio, and then Strength Ratio grew as a remote business first, and then uh, adopted the on-site location thereafter. Yeah, so the, the gym's actually only been around for about a year now, and uh, you know, like I said, I met Zach about four years ago. And we worked at the CrossFit gym for a little bit, and uh, I was still in school at the time. Uh, and then I finally graduated, and so we started to create kind of a physical location for strength ratio as like a headquarters of sorts. Um, so the remote business has been around for a while, and uh, the gym is relatively new. So is that kind of when you and Becca came on as uh, co-owners, when the gym opened? Yeah, yeah. So we've been co-owners for about a year now. Awesome. So yeah, I had no idea you guys met at a CrossFit gym because I see a lot of weightlifting posts from Strength Ratio. So that kind of leads into uh, what I wanted to ask you guys is what does your training look like comparison to kind of the athletes that you you guys work with? Our personal training? Yeah, like kind of like, yeah, yeah. What you guys are doing on a day-to-day basis yourself. Well, um, I feel like we're both in like this power building phase where it's like, uh, squat, bench, deadlift primaries with um, 
like bodybuilding uh, hypertrophic stuff uh, to to complement it. Uh, yeah. We've been doing that. Uh, we don't follow the same program, but we do follow similar training blocks, um, whether it's strength or, or hypertrophy or, or stamina. Um, but we've been doing that since I want to say last uh, last year, where we were just before then kind of dabbling all over. Now we're just like. Uh, really just general strength and <clears throat> conditioning people without a specific focus um, because most of our time is spent with the business and, and, and growing both remote and, and on-site so that it's just pretty simple and doesn't require as much mental fortitude to go into the gym and not have to like worry about a bad snatch or clean and jerk day, though our co-owner, Becca, keeps up with her weightlifting and does a great job at it. She snatch and clean and jerks all the time as a full weightlifter we kind of keep it simple with our personal training. Right. So, uh, right now I'm actually in a, in a weight loss phase. Um, Kyle's like always in a weight loss phase. <laughs> I feel the same. Uh, like my training right now is more, I guess you would say bodybuilding esque, uh, with a lot of like low intensity cardio, uh, for probably like another month or so. And then I'll probably go into a lower volume strength phase. And a lot of this is just um, more foundational building for competing down the road. Uh, so trying to get in, trying to get as lean as possible and then into like a lower weight class and maintaining that weight class. And then trying to get as strong in the foundation, foundational lifts as I can, really push those and then uh, maybe getting some competitions, even CrossFit at some point, or weightlifting competitions or powerlifting. Nice, awesome. So it's kind of like a little bit of prehab, and then just prepping the body for the for all that. Yeah, I think he and I just kind of want to look good at this point. <laughs> we we joke and we're like, when we go to weightlifting meets, we're like, because weightlifters are usually pretty short, we're like two of the bigger guys. Even though they're lifting like three times, even as much though they, as yeah, us. and then we're like, but they're all stronger than us. So that's yeah. kind of like if if you sum up our training, we're like moderately strong, but we're just trying to look so much better. <laughs> yeah, functional bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I like the term power building. You guys should uh, coin that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of um terms and stuff i think i saw a video from you zach something about like industry buzzwords or like all those people on instagram posting trying to educate people when they don't even know so maybe tell me a little bit about that it's um you know like everyone it's such a saturated market right the, the fitness industry the coaching the performance industry and people uh try to find an edge by sounding like experts and there are experts who speak a certain language and even then there's a context for which it's appropriate. Like, you know, whether or not Kelly Sturette listens to this podcast, I don't know if all of his language is appropriate for everyone who listens to MWOD, but MWOD's very successful. It's just that he talks in a very particular language. And since that inception, even like an early CrossFit, like the way that people speak is... Uh, kind of like this spooky, mysterious, buzzword-type language to be able to sound smart and to separate them, the coaches, from their clients. You're, you're always going to know more, uh, very likely, than the people coming to you for help. You don't really need all these buzzwords. So that's what 
we, we always talk about like, and people are using a lot of crazy language to describe what is otherwise like pretty simple. And uh, that's how at least we try to communicate like daily with our clients and even assessments, just make it super friendly and, and simple to understand because it is. Yeah. Yeah, I look on Instagram and I'm seeing someone who's, you know, putting out some some good content, like say a chiropractor or something like that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, the shoulder stretch looks great. And the way they explain it, I'm like, how the hell do I do this? Like, they just use this, the crazy words. And it's like, I have my level one. I've done a personal trainer certification like a while ago and done some courses. So I like to say that, like, I know a lot, a little bit. Well, I'm not no expert, but I know some of the words. But it's like some, some of the ways they're trying to explain things. I was like, okay, like... Anyone who has no knowledge is, is not going to get this at all. Like the internal, external, rotator cuff. And you're just like, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> like, tell someone just to open up their shoulder because they, they don't understand anything else. We spoke about this with one of, we have a few athletes in town. One is like sitting across the table. Uh, we might bring him in. I don't know. But um, we have a few athletes in town. And, and uh, one is a prospective coach. He's actually just shift professions. And... And he's talking about that. He said, well, you know, I feel like I don't know a lot of the science-y stuff, he said. And you know, a lot of the people who say a lot of the fancy words, um, they don't really have a really good foundational level of uh, the science behind performance or even just the basic uh, performance physiology and, and progression. Uh, but they know these buzzwords because they hear it from someone else. But you really do need a good foundational level of those sciences, at least in our opinion. Uh, but that's not something that you uh, have dominate a program or how you communicate. It's just it's there as the foundation and you know how to direct a program, but it's not something you use to sound smart. But that foundational level is, or, or that foundational uh, um, science and understanding is important. You just don't tout it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, I remember when I was a kid, I was uh, instructing for for uh, the local hill for snowboarding, and they were telling people like, "What we're teaching you right now is not what you tell the client. Okay. Like, you don't say and use all these kind of fancy terms and words because they're not going to understand the way they're rotating this way or so on and so forth. You have to make it as easy for them as possible. They're going to you because they already know you're the expert. So once you know, once they're there, you don't need to try to sell them more that you're an expert and just confuse them. They're not going to have a good time. Exactly. Like you yeah. have to communicate with people like they're human beings. Like it's 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 pretty wild, and it's not. It doesn't come from a. a it's not born out of any malintent. It's just um, people try to get ahead, and in the process, they might do some silly things, but they can just rewire it and then learn from those mistakes and come across perhaps a little bit more authentically. Right. Yeah. I think a, another big point there is when you mentioned context earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, with everyone trying to like, kind of get ahead or become a name in the industry, they are trying to develop a lot of content. So we'll throw uh, a term out there, like you said, the shoulder, some shoulder stretch. But you have to remember, like, well, when can I use this? Are there other things that might be better? Uh, should I, like, when should I do it? You know, it's all it's all in that context of, well, let's just not just throw this thing out there and say it's it's great for to do. But let's actually say, well, when's the best time to do it? How does it fit inside of a program? Do I even need to do it? Do I already have, like, the requisite uh, flexibility and mobility in this area? All those kind of things. Yeah. 
Yeah. I would just I just saw the other day and there was one guy and all his posts are they're mainly like shoulder based. Um he had a few others like hips and things like that. But I looked at one and I was like, Oh that's a good shoulder stretch. He's like, This is the number one thing. It'll fix all your overhead. And then a week later there's another one. This is the number one thing. And I said, if I go through and see what all the shoulder stretches that he said are the number one thing, I will be in the gym for two hours doing shoulder stretches before every workout. Like, people can like create some anxiety because they're like man i have all these things i have to do that i'm not doing like what do i need to do the right thing and it totally just distracts from like following a plan for a prolonged period of time and being consistent with it um and actually like putting in hard work because they're just like mobilizing for hours and then say they don't have enough time in the gym because it might sound silly but like that the way or what we see on social uh influences uh, at least I can certainly imagine uh, people who are getting into fitness or are maybe like ramping up their fitness journey, um, their decisions in the gym. You know, as more and more people are starting to explore things on their own or are doing open gyms, uh, if there isn't context behind an exercise, they're going to try it out. You know, if there um, is any type of one size fits all or number one best solution to something, they will try it out. Like, you know, we. We talk uh, about, and what we might get into this, this idea like how do we create a sustainable training plan and how do we follow a periodized plan, but you know, a 10 rep max uh, squat or like your fourth set of 10 on a back squat won't get as many likes on Instagram as a 1RM. And that can completely affect how people write programming and market. Uh, like it's not just marketing, it's like it'll be evident in their programming because it's their advertisement. It's wild. Right. Yeah. And you see so many athletes, actually, I like to coin them Instagram athletes and they're great at weightlifting. They're great at gymnastics. And then you see them at regionals or like any competition and they just can't put it together. Like it's like, you can do like 20 sets of unbroken or, you know, 20 unbroken muscle ups and you can snatch like 300 pounds, but somehow like where you do them together and you can't like, no one wants to put a, you know, their 5k row video of them doing it or something. So yeah, he has all these Instagram athletes, Instagram coaches, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, like everything, we wouldn't have uh, been able to reach as many people without it, but um, context is important. Definitely. So do you guys work with more Oli lifters or CrossFitters or powerlifters? I know you guys have a mix of kind of everyone from, you know, starting out and just rehabbing an injury or training for, for nationals or that kind of thing. But uh, what's the majority... What do you guys, like, who do you prefer working with if there is a preference? Well, um, I would just generally strength athletes are more of, I would say, area of, I don't want to use the word expertise because uh, I still feel that I have a lot to learn. Uh, and experts are, uh, like, I think everyone wants to call themselves an expert, but I think it takes a long time to get there. Uh, kind of thing. Kyle's only 23 as a preface. Yeah. He's the most mature you'll meet, but he's only 23. <laughs> uh, it's okay, I'm 23 too. He's not only 23, and he's not only the most mature. He's super knowledgeable, as evidenced by the fact that he's acknowledging he's not an expert, but that's just everything to know. Uh, but strength, I mean, we strength athletes, uh, so weightlifters, powerlifters, uh, drama, uh, and, then, and then crossfitters. Uh, they're definitely the hardest to program for just because there's so many different variables going into that kind of program. So sometimes if you have, um, 
like a power lifter, their program can be relatively, like you can write it pretty fast, uh, once, especially once you get to know them and you've been working with them for a while because you kind of know their strengths and weaknesses. You know where the goal is, how to progress them. Uh, but CrossFitters uh, definitely take a long time to write because you have to think of so many different, well, how does, how does the running fit in with the lifting? Where should we focus right now? Uh, are their endurance capabilities less than their strength capabilities? Gymnastics, and like, gymnastics is a whole other area because that's definitely, like, I have no gymnastics background, uh, so it's really hard to know for skill, progression, all that kind of stuff. So, but strength athletes in general are probably very high like It's like the more uh, variables, the more you can potentially mess up a whole training block. Um, and that's where, like, uh, I think really good CrossFit programming takes so much time because, you know, for a weightlifter, you, like how I was saying, or a powerlifter, you can minimize distraction really easily because there aren't as, moving, as many moving pieces. But, you know, if a CrossFitter has squats on a Wednesday and you give them something that blasts their quads on a Metcon and you're not thinking about what goes in the Metcon, then you follow it up with like airdyne sprints, their squats are going to be crap. So there's just so much more to juggle. It takes so much more time. Um, and why, you know, I think most CrossFit athletes uh, nowadays, at least those who are really excelling, have coaches that are taking care of those those plans for them rather than just kind of any old Metcon. Um, but you still kind of need that dose of a little bit of everything. Um, but as for the people we work with, it, it it is mainly general population. I'd say that's like our, our, our biggest group of people. And then behind general population, it's probably split into weightlifters and crossfitters and then powerlifters below that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, programming for crossfit is, it, it, yeah, it gives me anxiety attacks actually sometimes because I'm thinking, am I doing enough? What am I doing? What should I be focusing on now? And, you know, like you focus on like, okay, I need to build an engine. I suck at like Metcons between 15 minutes plus, let's like go hard on that. And all of a sudden, oh no, I don't want to lose my strength gains. What do I do here? It's, it's just crazy. Like we have powerlifting incorporated in our sport, weightlifting, gymnastics. So everything just like combines and you don't know really what program to put where and what to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think a lot of things were a really important thing the possible should do that I think, uh, a lot don't is like a really thorough needs analysis of themselves, uh, comparing themselves to standards in the sport, uh, meaning both strength and endurance. Uh, that way they can then look at themselves and see, okay, because like for CrossFit, strength is very much kind of like a, your ticket in the door thing. Like you need to have a base level of strength, and that also takes years to develop uh, before you can even kind of worry about some of the endurance, you know. So, uh, like, really taking a good needs analysis for crossfitters, and then um, being able to then like, look at yourself and say, okay, what do I need to focus on? And then really focusing on that for a period of time before worrying about everything else. Kind of thing. And then another layer on top of that, well, I'll kind of, like, make it more complicated for a second and then try to make it, like, less complicated, is that you have an athlete's enjoyment, too, right? So, like, he and I can do the same exercises gradually at volume or load for the same exercises over time because that's in terms of like our goals of either putting on mass or putting on strength. Like that's what you have to do 
the variability isn't you, like you don't you want variability for sure, um, but you don't want too much variability. And with CrossFit, it's very different, right? But um, if someone's serious about their CrossFit abilities and they make a needs analysis chart and they know where to focus, you end up taking some of that variability out, but then you still need to have that athlete be motivated and enjoy their programming because otherwise it might just not happen at all. So if you give them too much of something that they might not like because it's likely a weakness, so to speak, then they might not keep up with it if you don't keep it somewhat fun or involved or just communicate well with that athlete what the purpose is for that cycle and how long it lasts. But if you take a step back and just find major ways to measure progress and to just keep an athlete involved mentally, you know that you're going in the right direction. Like the specific rep schemes and netcons and on a bigger picture mean so much less because a lot of times we'll get caught up on like, should a wall ball go here or should a, a front squat go here? But when you when you look at having an athlete who's been on your team for years and years and you're just trying to get them to uh, a better level of fitness each year or perform better in the open or get to regional games, et cetera, it's like you, you make that steady progress over time, uh, but you need to keep them engaged and not always easy. And a lot of people get into this sport or this profession thinking that it's just like everything back to that Instagram comment, like everything always PRs, but you know, it's a lot of life coaching involved too, especially with our athletes who come to us for rehab. There's, there's a, we, we get to know our athletes really well because they either come to us in a vulnerable state or just because we get to know them honestly and we communicate with them honestly. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to, to manage, but that's why we do it. We love it. Right. Yeah. Cause I think even, even Kyle, when I started working with you, if I started working with you kind of when I'm at the top of my game or something, you know, I think people who, when they're at the top of their game, they're kind of a little bit cocky about it, or they're a little bit like, they don't want to say their weaknesses or, you know, they're just, there's a different attitude versus when I came to you, I had mono for six months. I was like, I was just getting back into my training after being out. So I knew I was like, I'm starting back from the bottom. Like if I can't lift like a two pound dumbbell, it's fine. Like I know that I'm starting from the bottom again. So it makes sense that you guys build these awesome relationships with your, with your athletes when they're coming to you in that state versus someone who is not disclosing all the information or um, kind of hesitant to, to scale back or do things like that. Yeah. And you know, every athlete, like we, we have some athletes who will, will get check-ins and we'll see the results and we might not hear from them that much. And, and our athletes are on different tiers based on the level of communication that they get. But some of them are just like autopilot. We don't hear from them. And we'll, we'll sometimes talk amongst each other. We're like, this person doing okay? Are they enjoying their program? And they're like, you'll get a message like once a month, like, this has been awesome. I love it. Like, okay, I just haven't heard from you. But that's how they roll. Yeah. And then other people who you just get to know on a deeper level. I mean, one's not better than the other. It's just different, different types yeah, of relationships and interactions. You some like to talk all the time, and others are just like, all right, I got my program. Let me do my thing. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah. Yeah. where they are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of leading a little bit into um, sustainable training. And I know you guys have been doing kind of, I think there was like a four-part video series or something like that um, up on your Instagram. 
Yeah. Tell me about sustainable training because it's, it can be so hard, especially mentally, um, as you kind of just said with, with athletes who they want that variability and to enjoy it, especially for, for a CrossFitter, but then they need to hammer down these weaknesses that isn't so fun all the time. So how do you kind of balance that out? Uh, well, we actually tried to, trying to uh, make, come up with like a pretty good definition for it, the sustainable training. So we have like a good term. We have some pieces. We have, we have some pieces, pieces and uh, a couple of them are like, well, the first one is like taking a long-term view of training. So people want to even think in a couple months uh, or even just one year, but we're thinking like three or five or like seven years down the road, you kind of want to think about how your training can be and how it can build on um, so something, like, for example, for that would be for me, like right now, I want to be, I want to be really strong. I want to be squatting 500 pounds, like 350, but I know that for my best long-term success, it would be better to lay that foundation of all the, uh, of like maybe just uh, getting down to a better weight class, leaning out, building, doing a like more bodybuilding type stuff to make sure I'm going to be really injury-free. And then as I uh, have those years of uh, a good buildup, then pushing the peak. So this, this kind of thing gets thrown around a lot, but like just making, you know, for the pyramid, building the base of the pyramid so that the peak can go higher kind of thing. Uh, right. Anything back first? Like, and, and, and not to say, like, like, you know, some athletes, if the quadrennial is halfway over and they're training for the Olympics, like, they, I mean, we, we have worked with athletes uh, specifically in weightlifting at Olympic trials. Um, but, you know, the athletes coming to us aren't those who necessarily need a performance goal by a fixed date. So we try to create this culture and this mentality of seeing the long-term uh, um, potentials and what might be involved therein. But, you know, in, in addition to having a long-term plan because if you just have like if you just say hey it's going to be like this desert we're going to walk out into it it's going to be intimidating and yeah you need short-term goals as well you need short-term goals so and that's where like a periodized plan comes into sustainable training so if an athlete's performing any one type of energy system or type of sport um, without any type of variance for extremely prolonged periods of time they're going to come up against the threshold, right? So uh, periodization allows us to undulate weights and reps, even exercises based on what will get us the most bang for our buck based on what we're trying to improve in a larger cycle to help that long-term goal not seem as far away because you have short-term check marks. And uh, I just think that a lot of people struggle with that simply because they don't follow or know how to follow a periodized plan. Uh, so they're just left with, I want to go into the gym, I want to feel good about myself. It's, so it's a go like go big or go home type scenario rather than seeing like the whole picture, you know? Right. A good example for that is if we go back to the, well, this would be more of just like a periodized plan. If we go back to uh, the crossroad example, let's say you did a need analysis realize that your strength wasn't, you're weaker than a lot of other people and you just need to get stronger right after the open. Uh, you might want to take the next like, couple months just focusing on strength 
uh, and you may think to yourself, oh, well, what about my endurance? My endurance is totally going to you know, fall off the map. Um, but volume, like ma maintenance volumes for pretty much anything are actually really low. Uh, people will find that like they can hop right back into something and their previous capability will come back pretty fast. So uh, starting with that needs analysis and then, you know, kind of going from there and saying, okay, what's the thing I most need to work on? What's, what can I do to maintain my current capabilities? Focusing on that thing for a period of time and then coming back uh, even better to uh, make your current strength stronger. Yeah, I like it. It's kind of... I think I saw this probably on Instagram um, a couple of days ago, and it was saying focusing on results doesn't get you the results. Focusing on your daily actions gets you the results. Yeah, process so, versus outcome, right? Focus right. Process versus a, a certain outcome. Yeah, yeah, and like you have these long term say like oh, I want to hit this PR, like it's fifty pounds more, and it's way down the road. But creating those little kind of short-term daily goals like today I'm going to hit this and this is my goal time for this workout or I'm going to do this and this is how I hope it's going to feel I think can give you that kind of satisfaction on a daily basis because some people they get they get tired trying to wait out like I know people you know trying to make the Olympics it's like four years like yeah. so if you don't have anything kind of weekly monthly that you're you're striving for as well you're just going to get so burnt out yeah and then I know you know another part of sustainable training so if you have the idea that it, it, it is not um, uh, results-driven, it's, 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 it's kind of like process-driven, making those short-term check marks on a long periodized plan. Then there's also just like, you know, what, it, and this goes into the needs analysis, but what's appropriate for a specific individual, even if it's in, uh, I think, a group setting. So, you know, might uh, high volume snatches five days a week for like a lawyer mom or stay at home person or just remember just wanting to look better and feel healthier be appropriate? Maybe not. You know, that's where I think we're at a point with all training, not just CrossFit, where you have to look at who your your avatar is, you know, like there are going to be outliers. Not everyone's going to be happy and feel so saturated. They'll find another gym. But are you actually writing workouts for that avatar, the people who, who comprise most of your gym's population? And I think if, if gym owners do an honest evaluation of that, they might find that they could be helping their athletes achieve a lot of results sooner. Um, because, you know, the snatch and the clean and jerk are fun for some, but not for everyone. And especially if that lawyer or stay-at-home person is injuring their, their shoulders in a snap, why would you ever want to go back to that gym? You just want to look better and, and uh, feel healthier. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. So there's, context, there's, there's context for everything. And I think that in a lot of what we speak about, people say, well, yeah, that's obvious. Like, I know that. But then we just consistently see like the same mistakes being made. So there's that awareness of it, and then there's actually putting into practice a plan that can motivate people and is appropriate in them accomplishing their goals based on their needs analysis or, or wants, etc. Right. Yeah, for example, my mom does not want to touch a barbell. <laughs> 
Never. I've been trying to convince her for years. Like, mom, like it, all you have to do, like you, you can squat pretty well. Like your form is really great. Imagine if you just put a barbell on there. And she's like, no, I don't want to touch a barbell. So one time I brought her into uh, to a CrossFit class and we did a basics class together and she had to do strict press and something else. And yeah, she was so kind of bugged by having to touch the barbell. And, and it's like, okay, so you have someone coming into the gym and perhaps you know, it doesn't have to be that training is not for them because they don't want to touch a barbell. There's so many other things they can do. You know, they don't want to do pull-ups. They can do ring rows. They don't want to do, and it's not just, you know, not everyone has the same goal. So someone could walk in and they could have no goal of ever wanting to do a muscle up. Yeah. You know, they could go in and they'd be like, I can't do a strict, you know, so people come in, they can't do a strict pull-up yet. They're like, I want to do a muscle up. And that's awesome. But some people come in and they can do a strict pull-up. They're like, no, I have no interest in doing a muscle-up. I just want to work on this strict pull-up and do more strict pull-ups maybe. And it helps me look good. You know, a muscle-up is a cool trick. <laughs> but uh, if they're not competing or doing anything, you know, the strict pull-up is probably giving them more bang for their buck. Yeah, like it's, if you have a, a gym and that's their, their not their, their target audience, so you know, a gym might actually target those people. That's kind of who we target. We are targeting people who want to just feel better over time and, and you know improve performance over time, but they're they're in no rush to, to get a muscle up or they don't really desire to like have a body weight snatch. Uh, we're aware of those goals, we're aware of our target audience, but then you see gyms who are pushing for that in their programming. They're following like uh, competitors wad or they're following Invictus. And it's like your, your mean age is like 38. You have had 10 people leave in the past five months due to injury, like, and you're still following the same thing. Like, that's ridiculous. And you know, I think, I actually, that, it's hard for me not to get like <laughs> amped up about that because it's inappropriate and like just people aren't doing their due diligence there. And yeah. It's easy to, to like really sit down and make something that's appropriate for your members because your members are paying especially CrossFit gyms now, like they're not paying anything cheap, you know? So the last right. thing you want to do is injure your, your clientele. I mean, there's injury, like, I mean, not to say avoid any type of uh, exercise at all. You, you will, will get injured uh, to one degree or another. You're not going to save everyone, but um, just make sure that your programming is appropriate. Start there and be honest with yourself. That's the hardest part. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, sometimes you have, you know, you open up a gym and you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Everyone here is going to be a competitive athlete. Like, and then that's just not your clientele, but you're still programming that way because that's what you do yourself. But like anything, like, for example, you know, in my marketing business, if I'm going to try to help a client and we're, we're selling, I don't know, like a, a bike to someone, but it's very much like a family oriented bike. I'm not going to be like trying to tell the competitive racer this is the bike for you and then again if i'm trying to sell a competitive race bike i'm not going to try to sell it to you know the the beginner who should be on a tricycle or something starting off so you could you can wish all you want for you know what members you want to get but in the end you got to look at your member base and then see uh who it actually is and that's where i think crossfit gym owners or programmers have a challenging task because you know, CrossFit's the only sport. Um, you know, I I grew up playing baseball, so if I went up against an opposing pitcher who was on an opposing team in my age group and 
somewhat in my division or realm of abilities, that's appropriate. But I would never expect to hit uh, like a major league 99 mile an hour fastball. But with CrossFit, the way people see the pros, though that's like a whole other discussion because there aren't really professional CrossFitters or more than like three or five, um, like truly professional a uh, CrossFit athletes, you have this track where it's like the open is amazing in that it is inclusive, but people can very quickly fall down the slippery slope of making comparisons to people who literally have this as their full-time commitment. So you, as the gym owner, have to find that balance between their drive to get better and then that realistic expectation of what it takes to get to where the elite athletes are going and maybe even letting those athletes know that that's not really what they want because here's what it looks like for those people. Right. I was just saying, did we uh, kind of go away from the sustainable training thing? Can you ever answer that? We could probably go on and on about sustainable training for a while. Um, let's talk about wait for the cookies because I really like that hashtag and I feel like some people would love to hear what it's about. I always have Kyle explain because he does a better Well, this is, this, is, this is where it kind of came from. Uh, so there was a study, I think it was done in like the 60s or 70s. And people may have heard of the study before because it's basically taught in every uh, like college psych course or something. Uh, but they took a class of kindergartners and gave them, uh, I think they originally did it with marshmallows actually, but they've done it, they've repeated the study with different kind of treats. So it just seems like a treat. And uh, they said, they put it in front of them. They said, if you guys wait 15 minutes, uh, we're gonna leave the room, wait 15 minutes. When we come back, if you haven't eaten your marshmallow or your treat, you'll get another one. And so they left the room for 15 minutes and they came back and only like a handful of the kids have saved, had saved their treat for their second treat. And then they tracked the, that, that class for uh, X number of years. I think it was like 20 years or something like that. And they found that on average, the kids who saved their treat were uh, more successful. Uh, just because it, it was like an indicator of long-term gratification, or delayed gratification, uh, and um, being able to put away the shiny object in front of you for the hard work and stuff like that. So I had, I had just reread that study, and then I was thinking about it, and the strength ratio logo looks somewhat like a cookie. <laughs> with like, So if you think about the two dots being like chocolate chips, and then obviously it's a circle. So we're going to eventually make a shirt that's wait for the cookies and then the logo will just be a, like a chocolate chip cookie. Yes. There should be a cookie monster in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we thought about that too, like the cookie monster somewhere. So that's how, that's how the term wait for the cookies came and then it kind of just kind of a cool like thing to say as well, like, a, like wait for your dessert or something like that. And uh, that kind of also <laughs> led into the sustainable training too, you know, kind of like putting off maybe... Uh, what you what you really love to do now for you know uh, getting better in the end, um, putting away like the fancy shiny objects, uh, knowing that you just need to put in the hard work and stay consistent, and then that the majority of results will come from that. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of that was kind of wait for the cookies, just like a kind of like a team motto of also just like the process, enjoying the process versus just uh, shooting for the outcome rallied around because I don't, and I don't know what it is about it but like um you know rather than having to have that talk uh all the time with with your athletes about 
And I'm like, well, this is why we're doing this. Remember, we spoke about this reason. It's this long-term commitment. Well, yeah, yeah. Like it becomes, especially when they know where the the term comes from, right? It becomes something that, like, they make it there rather than like the little wins. Like, two of our athletes are going to regionals on teams, and others are are qualifying or doing the master qualifier right now. And they're like, okay, so I got my cookies now. Like, I got some, and now we're working for more. Like, it's it's just yeah. this like fun thing that people like to reference, like in their notes back to us, or just like in the discussion on our Facebook group, it's, it's this like, camaraderie building type thing and people are on board with it. It's just kind of like our culture. So if we bring a new athlete in and they're trying to resolve pains and they see that they're coming into a culture of people who have uh, gone on to do impressive things in their performance, but they started in an injured state, they're not all of our athletes are like that. And we let them know that this is kind of our motto. Here's the story. They buy into it and they kind of, uh, approach it openly and it's fun too it's created a it's really good atmosphere at our gym people just uh, like if something bad happens they're just like wait for the cookies <laughs> I know it's okay or if they're like if they have if they do have like a PR they want to hit they know that it's gonna take a lot of uh, work to get there and they, they enjoy it much more so it's yeah it's been a really cool culture uh, building atmosphere thing. Yeah, I love it. I was just thinking about it today because I was um, I was just talking with one of my training partners who's uh, a coach at my at my gym, and I was talking about you guys and some of the the work I've been doing with you, Kyle, with the the Achilles program and like the the little exercises that have been helping my shoulders. And I was talking about how yeah, like I did Fran in two twenty, and it like my shoulders didn't hurt at all. And I used to like have like tears trying to do a thruster because it was like the worst possible movement for my shoulders. And then again, like I PR'd my snatch uh, two weeks ago and it's the same thing. I haven't really, you know, I haven't been trying to PR my snatch lately. I haven't been doing anything too heavy. Actually during the open, the snatch workout was my best workout. I hadn't snatched in so long before that. So I was very surprised, but the thing was, it's, it's kind of like wait for the cookies is what I was thinking because, you know, all those little things, it paid off to make me just like more stable shoulders. Um, I didn't have pain and I was able to, I think sometimes when I get approach a thruster, I'm like, I think about that pain and then it slows me down because I, you know, you, you kind of have that, that neural feedback and, um, yeah. So I, I was just talking about him today. I was like, I just love the wait for the cookies. And you know, it's like, I think it's like the ultimate wait for the cookies example with some CrossFit is uh, Elijah Muhammad. It was like, I don't know if you remember this, but like Elijah Muhammad was that little kid in the back of all of the running videos. And people like don't even remember who he was. I mean, hopefully everyone in CrossFit knows who he is now is like one of the best CrossFit creators in the world. But like he was riding on Rich's heels for like three or four years, you know? And like in every CrossFit video, his name wasn't mentioned. Like nobody knew who he was. And now that like he's arrived, right? And that's how it works with every sport too. Some type of developmental system there for a reason. So um, yeah, it's, we're really proud of, of that part of the, the culture. And it's really it's really been awesome for, for new members coming in, especially with what to expect and, and, and what the realities of training are. So it's been awesome. Yeah, it can be definitely really difficult to build patience in not only athletes, but anyone, anyone kind of, you know, trying to reach a goal or do something um, that's somewhat long term and or kind of like any type A person in general who's 
typically are the type of people you see uh, trying to be competitive in fitness. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the wait for the cookies is kind of like, I love it. It's the perfect way to, to get people to buy into being a patient athlete. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so what are the most common injuries and imba- imbalances that you see? Um, so, you know, I, I've been asked that question a lot and I think I said something like shoulders for crossfit athletes and knees and hips for weightlifters, but I think the more athletes we work with, the more I realize that, um, you know, everyone may deal with their own individual stuff, but at some point the the wheels came off and it's rarely due at least with the athletes that we get who are beyond that like foundational class level they've been crossfitting for a certain amount of time they've been waiting for a certain amount of time we might tweak their technique here and there but more often than not they just simply overdid it um and as for what joint uh or or like major body part takes the heat and eventually leads them to stop, uh, I've realized it, it might even just kind of be all over the board. Um, but I was just say, with, with the overuse type thing, sometimes it's, uh, it's not really like specific to a sport, but it can be like a sport combined with a repetitive pattern that they're doing all the time outside of their sport. It's just like in their daily life or for their job or something. Yeah, so and, I, I have a person who is a... Uh, uh, a bike taxi and he had knee pain and he bikes like I don't know like last weekend he biked for 60 hours yeah because he, he's a bike taxi and he uh, last last fall he had knee pain so he was also doing a lot of running he was training for the military and CrossFit and then his job was just being a bike taxi so it was like all of that paired together and I was like oh well that's the you're just like you're doing so much repetitive motion with the knee, so much bending of the knee. But we just had to adjust the volume, uh, get them a little stronger, and obviously it feels great. Yeah. So like, if you can find what that person's overusing, which I mean that's the case, they've they've pushed something beyond its ability to recover. Um, and if you can identify what plane of motion that is, what major muscles it involves, you just bring. You don't stop doing that exercise altogether. You bring volume down first, and you supplement it with other planes of motion and major muscle groups that you can that you can use and have access to, which is often much greater than what the athlete thinks because they're just so honed in on whatever the injury is. But there's still so much else that can be done. Uh, so you know what what we do now in identifying uh, what that overuse is, we just lower volume down. We try to keep them doing the exercise, but perhaps changing the technique to do it as comfortably as possible. And then we supplement it with that which they're not getting. So like if a runner's having knee pain and it's all in this plane, then you know that you're lacking movement side to side and up and down. And if you're having pain with pressing overhead, you know that that's just one motion of pressing, but you have other motions of pressing and you also have pulling. So you kind of have this little uh, diagnostic where we spend so much time talking about form, yet people with really good form get jacked up all the time. You know, so that's kind of like, that's the realization like, well, why do elite athletes with perfect form get injured? And it's much easier and not, this is like, <laughs> I think maybe my, 
we will call athletes out on form when it's needed, right? We don't neglect it. It's very important to us. But in this rehab type setting, uh, I don't think it's priority one. And that might be a little bit different thinking. It's just how much volume are you doing? How much do you need to tolerate to feel better? And what are you not doing so that we can do a little bit more of that critiques and heat off the areas that are just being beat to the ground? And it's like it comes up in conversation, like we'll have like, and not to the athlete's fault, but we'll be like, so I don't know why I'm having this pain. And like we've joked about this with this athlete, but it's like, it's like, oh, we'll talk and we'll talk with Becca. They're like, oh, we just found out now that they like bike 60 miles on top of their squats, right? So it's like, it's like, like sometimes like we just don't yeah. think about these things. But um, well, a good example is the other day I. Uh, my little back, I've never had any little back pain. My little back pain, I had my little back's a little stiff the other day. I was like, man, this is weird. And then I was like, oh yeah, I did a, like a four hour hike with a, a backpack on that had like five water bottles in it. You know, so, and I, had, I hadn't done a hike, like a, like a long hike like that in probably like a year and a half. So it was just like, oh, it was just like a little, a little much right away, but now my back feels great again. So, uh, right. just, I think, yeah, for a lot of, a lot of people, it's just looking at, um, repetitive motions that you're like always doing, and uh, thinking about okay, well, uh, I'm obviously doing way too much of, let's say, knee flexion or something like that, uh, and then saying what other kinds of movement can I get into, or if it's prehab, saying like for CrossFit, like it's always in the same plane, trying to get out of that plane of movement, uh, making sure that you're strengthening the like antagonist side of the muscle. Uh, uh, and form does come into it, so being honest with yourself with form as well. Uh, not if you're if you're high bar squatting, you get your quads stronger, but also it turns into a good morning. You're no longer getting your quads stronger. If you're now just using your back, so you might have to use a little, uh, little less weight there. And things like that. I think that's usually like a good. There's no like special exercises really. Like exercises or exercises. It's just an appropriate ball. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, that's what, it, like it, I, I totally think that's the case because people, I think, that if you, as long as you're not talking about beginners, never you're like totally new to it. If people's form comes off, it's due to their intensity or their ego, right? Like they're just, and if you ask them, they're like, "Yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that." Like it, it, it and then so, but we, but that's all we talk about. We just talk about form. But I think maybe like in the past couple of years or so, there's been this. You know, uh, Dr. Mike Israel from Juggernaut Training Systems, he's been talking a lot about uh, recoverable amounts of training, volumes and intensities, and trying to uh, educate people about, uh, you know, how much, not just in general, one can take on in a given sport, but like what is appropriate for a given muscle group in a week, you know, getting like really nitty gritty. And if you exceed your recoverable volumes in a specific muscle group or plane of motion, your body will try to stop you from doing that by sending pain signals to the brain. So when people start with us, we just start way down and then like micro progress on the way up. Right. You know, yeah. None, <laughs> a lot of people don't say deload week. We need a week of uh, lighter work, 
allow your body to recover. Yeah, I, you know what? That's a big thing that I see missing across it is the deload week. That's so important. I know um, kind of the summer before I started doing CrossFit, I started working with a coach who's now one of the co-owners of the gym, the CrossFit gym I go to. And um, he wanted to help me out and do some programming for my snowboard training. I was still competing in snowboarding at that time. And uh, he put me kind of on like Wendler 531. And then it has like that deload week. And I remember being so frustrated every deload week. It's like, why can't I just keep increasing and keep going? And it made such a big difference that I've still tried to kind of incorporate. I feel like I don't incorporate as much as I should probably now, but I definitely do more than maybe the average kind of CrossFitter that has no idea. Yeah, it's like, if you do, if you are training, you like, most appropriately or, or training to maximize your performance in this specific area, the deload feels like hard because you push yeah. yourself so much the week prior. Yeah, a deload is nothing if you have no overload. So people ask, well, is a periodized plan for everyone? And we think so because you know, a, a scientific principle that's very important is the principle of overload. That's, unless it's a very strong adaptation. And the deload is there because you have overload. If you are on the elliptical doing seven speed for years and years and years, don't deload your elliptical on seven speed, you're just not creating overload. You're not improving performance. But if you want to improve performance, you're going to have to challenge your limits, which means you need to back off uh, after doing so, so that you get this super compensation. Right. Um, injury prehab, is there a main imbalance that you see um, you know, in CrossFitters or in weightlifters, just because of the nature of the sport and the programming, is there one major imbalance that seems to stick out? Push, pull, I'm not sure what, what you guys will come up with. Um, there, at least in this country, there's a huge emphasis on the squat. And you have to pull the weight before you can squat it. And for some reason, people seem to like, I don't know if that's like an Instagram thing, like <laughs> you get less legs for a really awesome clean pull than you do a clean or a front squat. Um, I'm kind of chuckling because I think that's true, but, um, people love squats. people love squats and you get really strong squatters. So they're like quads are super strong. The anterior side of their body just takes such a hit. So you see a lot of hip injuries, a lot of low back injuries just because anterior stress is so high, posterior stress feels really low. And when they do do pulls, it's one speed and one direction only and one plane of motion only. So... If the posterior strength is lagging and you're only training it in one plane of motion and at one speed, uh, the way we go about helping weightlifters is by introducing uh, more targeted exercises or uh, I'd say increased frequency of exercises that uh, strengthen the hamstrings uh, and the low back. And we involve uh, prolonged or just enforced, well-enforced uh, lowering phases of the load. The eccentric um, uh, phase, most commonly known, I mean, it's the lowering of the weight. But you know, I, I, whenever I mention eccentrics with weightlifting or I mean movement, it's not like every there's not like an eccentric only and concentric only. But we don't have to get into that. Um, but the lowering phase of exercise uh, is really not present in weightlifting. So we introduce that and we increase the frequency of lifting to squatting, and we can help a lot of athletes with. Uh, hip and low back issues and then like the last layer on that cake before I turn to Kyle with CrossFit is that you know you identify it as a bilateral sport only so if 
someone's having one-sided or unilateral pain, as we call it, uh, you might involve the hinging with the slow lowering in a uh, one-legged fashion. So that's kind of like that diagnostic that we said, like what's being overused? How can we train uh, the areas that are being neglected? And does it have to be done on one leg if sports otherwise are only ever done on two? Right. Yeah, I think another thing from weightlifting is uh, uh, a lot, because of the sport getting so popular, so fast, a lot of people have just found programs online. And uh, you have to remember that those programs are very sports-specific programs. So um, a good example is like many of the athletes who are training for that have, may have spent four or five years uh, building like a good foundation of just like squats, deadlifts, uh, very basic movements before they ever even went to uh, like a very sport-specific Olympic weightlifting program. So with the rise of the sport, a lot of people have just chosen these programs because they want to get better at the snatch and clean and jerk, but they haven't built the uh, requisite strength in the other areas that aren't used as much. So then that's when like, a lot of people will use some of these. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, and that's, I mean, that's very similar with uh, CrossFit, I think, too, is people... Uh, I think most injuries occur just because people have jumped right into a CrossFit program because, uh, you know, CrossFit like blew up so fast and it got so big and it was all, you know, all high intensity. It was all like, was like go, go hard type thing. Um, and it was all these really cool movements, a lot of Olympic weightlifting, a lot of gymnastics movements. Uh, but all of those sports um, usually have like a long foundational period before they get into like more of the top end movements. Like in their, in their respective rights. Yeah, so like gymnastics, they spend a lot of years building like just on the basics. Olympic weightlifting will have a lot of years on the basics. I mean, even regular sports will have, uh, like basketball, you spent, you learn how to dribble uh, and shoot uh, before you like can play like a full game and stuff like that. Um, so, I'm trying to think of like areas I've seen. Shoulder injury, injuries are definitely big. And, uh, and knee injuries are definitely big, I'd say, in CrossFit. Um, uh, and a lot of it is maybe just controlling the eccentric or learning, learning phase because people want to try to get that balance in the squat. So they'll, you know, <laughs> go from, they'll start slow at the beginning and then get about halfway down and then just drop. Uh, which I think, just to get the weight up, I think that most people should control it all the way down and come up as fast as you can. So maybe like a two or three second lowering phase. And that's not where you go two or three seconds halfway and drop. That's like where the third one is, you're in the, you're like as deep as you're going to go and then you're coming back up. Um, but just you know, controlling the movements more. I, I can't really think of like one particular area that I've seen. Do you, do you have any? Um, not, not quite. I mean, with. Uh, the one specific plane of motion that I, I bring up often is the upright row. Uh, you just don't, I mean, the snatch is like hip propulsion and catch. So the high pull is a way that you can kind of like train the snatch to get better at it. Um, there isn't ever really like deliberate high pull motions. In CrossFit, like the summative of high pull just like was taken away because it wasn't cool anymore until it appeared at regionals. And people were like, shit. Like, oh no! <laughs> um, yeah, so like yeah, toes to bar pull ups. Um, this, this when I do this, that's like toes to bar pull ups. <laughs> uh, and then you know, like there's just a lot of repetitive downward pulling, um, almost no horizontal pulling. 
Um, oh, and, and deadlifts. Control your deadlifts. Don't bounce. Yes. Do, yeah, yeah. Do, some, do some dead stop deadlifts. Uh, control it all the way down to the ground. Uh, everything's not for reps. You don't have to throw the weight down so it can come back up. Control the movement. That's, that's another big one, especially with low back injuries. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that high force and change of movement is, can be pretty brutal. It's yeah. good for competition, for speed, but maybe not for training. I'm not as mad at you because you interrupted me. <laughs> because that's but, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the quick sudden change of movement is if you just like standardize in your gyms, like that, that's like probably the best PSA we can have. It's like if you want to prevent acute injury from occurring in your gym, people need to have better timing. Uh, so like we talk about technique, we don't talk about timing. When you're doing deadlifts and if you see someone like slam the weight in the ground and grind it up, I always think like you see them, like Kyle said, they go into a squat and they just bottom out and then they grind up, like take a foam roller and throw it at them like as hard as you can. <laughs> like it won't hurt them. Just have them stop like immediately because a lot of what you see in, in these sports are totally, they're, they're chronic injuries, right? But if you do have an instance of having an acute injury in your gym, which should never happen, like that shouldn't happen unless something crazy happens in the snatch or jerk um, or clean, it's like just move with a better understanding of timing and Being tempo. Like tempo, yeah. yeah. When we when we talk about timing, and tempo. It's like I just want people to. I want to go to every gym and just like tell them each individually. Uh, but it's nice on platforms to be able to emphasize that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I find some people, they walk in and they just, you know, if they haven't done any other sport in their life, and they, the thing is, is CrossFit has become kind of, it's become a, a sport on its own, and people don't understand that CrossFit as a sport, and then CrossFit as training is totally different, and yeah. almost the same as, you know, if someone just walks in and they want to do the Olympic lifts as just part of their training to look good and feel good, versus if they're training to, um, you know, PR their, their Olympic lifts all the time, or for a meet or something like that, it just kind of totally totally different and then the people they, they jump into that sport kind of programming and they don't have that sense of timing or that background of you know years of squats or deadlifts or things like that or just athletic movement in general to back it up so then they just get these these injuries because they're, they're not really sure what they're doing and they're jumping into something so so intense I guess and the thing I want to make sure is like it's not that you can't do like those programs, you just have to be aware of the limitations of them. Right. So be aware that they are more specific, so you may want to uh, lighten the load or uh, throw in some extra work that may be uh, more foundational building, things like that. So it's not that you can't do them, just be aware of like who they're written. Again, that kind of comes back to context. Be aware of who they were written for uh, and things like that. Right. I was just thinking back at like someone like Carrie Pierce, who came out of nowhere and you know, six months made the games. And so people kind of look at this program. So for example, you know, they're going to check her gym and what program she followed for that six months. So like she went from never doing CrossFit before to the games in six months. Like they don't realize that she was a gymnast competing in weightlifting. I think she did some bodybuilding and powerlifting. Like she had years and years of like collegiate athlete training before that, that really prepped her to be able to like then grasp the movements. And yeah, it really, she's just laying the foundational level to excel in everything that CrossFit at the game demands. So, right. that, I mean, like, that, that's an example there where, like, 
and that but that's where you might lose people's excitement because people want intensity they want that adrenaline but i mean if you and that's fine like do that do it in, in, in dosages that aren't like totally overwhelming but if people want to get serious about any sport really like it's not just from uh, a strength or a hypertrophy phase to a strength phase it's like you have like developmental work to do for a long long time so like, the best athletes are always saying like well i'm still developing these skills or i'm still developing my basic strengths they know what's involved but um I mean, yeah, like a lot of the top crossfitters were collegiate athletes, or like Rich Froning was a was like a strength and conditioning coach, and he would I think he played some baseball. Yeah, yeah. Played baseball. Yeah, baseball, baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was a strength and conditioning coach in a, in a, in a collegiate weight room, and I know that his his uh, first his first coach was the his head coach, his, like head coach. I don't know if you call it his head coach, but the guy that like got him the CrossFit was the head coach for. Uh, what is it, East Tennessee? Tennessee Tech. Tennessee Tech, one of, one of those. And uh, he's like, like helped Froning originally get into the sport. And so that guy knew about periodized planning and all that. So I'm sure that was like kind of a part of his original training. Okay, yeah, I got to get good at these areas. Like, let's break it down, get good at one and build on top of each other. So now where he's so good at, at everything that he can just literally just do cross, like classic CrossFit and get better at it. Right, exactly. Well, some people, they, you know, they do as much classic CrossFit as they want, but they have never built the, you know, the other stuff that they need to. We write uh, affiliate programming in which there's a lot of basically foundational work, the natural clean jerk. I, I think we have it featured like, one snatch training session a week, one clean or jerk session a week. But the rest is, you know, and this depends on how we're periodizing a plan for a gym relative to the open, but we're right out of the open, we're putting a lot of work into strength, and then there's some days where it's just low-intensity cardio. The, uh, Glassman made a, a mistake, and I don't know if we'll be, this podcast will be taken down before this. <laughs> but Glassman made a mistake when he said that, and he, didn't, he said power equals results, right? But like, uh, that's like one very tiny piece of the puzzle. Right? So like intensity is important, um, you need to have an engine, a really good engine, and have very high pain tolerance to be a CrossFit. But to put low intensity work is part of that sustainable plan for you to be able to go to the games multiple years in a row. But nobody does long, slow efforts anymore, it seems. Um, and that's just like a, a fundamental like <laughs> misunderstanding of how to improve the aerobic system. So you can see someone crush Fran, like Rich could in his early years, and then absolutely die on a long run because he just—that's me. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly me. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's intensity is important for CrossFit, but it should not be the same level of intensity or RPE every day. Because if you ask your athletes at your gym. Like you can just give them a survey. It's like, what's your RPE every day you're in the gym? If they say nine every day, I don't think they're doing the gym for more than a year. I just no. don't yeah. think that's possible. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And then eventually, you know, they get an injury and then they, they take some time off, they come back and then they're like right back to RPE nine every single day until the next injury happens. Yeah, and yeah it's, it happens a lot, you know? 
And, and, and just to say, like, you don't want to say, like, when you talk about the injuries involved in the sport, you don't want it to seem like it's, we're not saying to, to like, not do it. It's like there's just a, a, a plan that you can take to best get into the sport to start. And if you are further down the road, you can maybe rewind a little bit, improve some foundation areas, and then proceed at a better level than before. But, you know, I, I think that the, the major idea is that you, you don't have to uh, push yourself like crazy to achieve results every single day. And if you can encourage people that progress comes in different intensities and different exercises over time, people will enjoy that. They'll, they'll see challenge, like people love um, CrossFit and they love different fitness programs for variety's sake, but it's just not ever going to sustain itself if it's the same intensity and the same exercises over and over. Right. But, you know, like CrossFit injury rates are not any higher than like other sports injury rates. We're not saying that CrossFit is like this dangerous thing, don't do it, but just like they're finding ways to make professional sports safer and sports science is a very rapidly growing science to help improve athletes' performance in the day. Um, you know, CrossFit has ways in which it could get better. Weightlifting programs has, they have ways in which they could improve athletes' safety. It just depends on, you know, how, uh, you want to approach it when your goal is, if it's the Olympics or not, and for you know, like 99.999 recurring population, that's just not the case. So, you know, what ways can you go into this and feel like you're having fun in space? Right. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes if I'm traveling, I'm not seeing my normal physios or chiros. I say, yeah, I CrossFit and I'm, you know, I'm sore here or whatever. They're like, oh, CrossFit. Did you know that I used to be a national team snowboard athlete before this? So I'm pretty sure CrossFit isn't dangerous when I'm hitting 80 foot jumps and breaking ribs and doing things like this. Like, so it's so funny when people are like, oh, like I heard that fitness program is kind of dangerous. I was like, did you know what sport I did before? And you know, you know, the NHL players and anyone you're watching on TV, their injury rates or even the injury rates of like a runner or something. Oh, runs the worst. I mean, yeah, but that's, that's, I mean, that's another good uh, thinking more is better. Just going out, doing lots and lots of volume, repetitive motion, one, one motion the whole time, uh, and uh, people not maybe putting in the, the work beforehand for long-term results. So thinking that you can only run to lose weight loss or to be healthy. Um, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the reason why. People go from the couch straight to running like 10 miles. And that's what but instead of talking about that, having like individual conversations about volume and, and mileage and all that. It's like, well, we have this new shoe, we have this new orthotic. It, it's the same thing with, with, with the, the strength and conditioning world where it's like we have this new um, device that strengthens your shoulders or this new foam roller. Yeah, it's like the class, like, it, <laughs> monitor your volume. Like, I, I think every athlete should have an idea of their average volume idea what their average intensity is, an idea what their average mileage is, and it's a discussion about programming, you know, like, that, that's how it starts, so if someone has an injury, like, the first thing we'll ask them is, like, well, what does your current program look like, and what are your current capabilities, and then we work from there, so, but we want to, like, we can sell fixes around that, we can 
get Instagram followers and likes around this crack mobility as Right. So <laughs> you still get the likes and the followers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, going back to what we were talking about, like uh, a CrossFit athlete who, you know, they do it six months, all of a sudden they're, they're at the games. It's, I find it interesting to talk about how, um, you know, they all probably followed strength and conditioning programs with whatever sport they're doing with a coach, something that maybe they talked about volume or they're, they're just incorporating these very maybe generic or, you know, they could be very sports specific to what they were doing, um, programs that then allowed them to excel in the sport of CrossFit afterwards. So they're just kind of becoming general great athletes. For example, um, I forget what her name is, but there's one games athlete who's like a sailor and people are like, they're talking about how everyone was a former athlete. And then they talk about, well, she was a, she was a sailor. Like she wasn't like sprinting or a movement that's in the game. So, you know, why is she such a great athlete? And then you think, I think it's the training that came before it, right? Like she was probably working with a strength and conditioning coach and training up to there. Um, for example, people tell me they're like, oh, you're so good at, at endurance on the assault bike and like that one minute max kind of thing because your legs from snowboarding. And I was like, maybe, but I think it's more kind of because snowboarding was so leg specific, we did so many squats, so many things like that, training in the gym to, to get there. You're right. Like people don't, uh, or they underestimate those histories. We have this like ongoing thing between each other and our gym, where it's like, unfortunately, their camera doesn't show Kyle's calves. They're huge. I like the biggest calves I've ever seen, and my calves are definitely not the biggest calves I've ever seen. So then, we're like, I've come up with theories like Kyle was a fat baby, so like gravity weighed everything down. <laughs> That's a good working theory. And then he's like, I was like, you must have Well, I was, I was a fat baby. So I genetically so I was, had big calves. Yeah. So then, and then I was like, but there has to have been something. And for, for three years, he was like, no, never, didn't do anything. My calves specifically, never. And then like six months ago, we got this basketball group out. How about a basketball Our members class and stuff. And then he's like, Oh yeah, like when I was like, like for like years, I had these like ankle weighted shoes, and I would like bounce for like hours. And I was oh like, my god! Maryland lying to me. It was like for three years, because you trained your calves for like hours a day. Yeah, they were but, like. There's these, always an explanation for like why calves. Yeah, they're like these shoes that uh, were basically like a block on your forefoot, so that like basically your heel was off, and then you would do like you would like jump in them and do like. Exercises in them, and they would oh, burn me, my calves. Yeah. You have a shake weight in the one hand at the same time. <laughs> they weren't out yet. They weren't out yet. Otherwise, but you, you, I mean, that guy's used triceps. You get to see his triceps. Well, but the same thing is like I did. I did my my first experiment with a gym. I went into this gym, and this guy was like, "Hey, you know, um, you should do these machines. They're really cool." And there was like a chest press and bench press. And I was like, what's downstairs? And he's like, don't ever go downstairs. And it was like squat racks, leg press. So I never went downstairs <laughs> at that time. But it's like, it's just speaking to that point where it's like, you know, you get good at what you're good at, what you do a lot of. So yeah. like Kyle got his calves and you were good at snowboarding or you're, you're good at squatting because you squatted. You know? <laughs> yeah. When they, I mean, yeah, the people who, I mean, that example of a Carrie Pierce, um, and then her being able to excel so fast and CrossFit, uh, 
there's a reason like the Chinese start training their kids when they're like six or seven years old. Because <laughs> yeah. like, at the elite level, it can take that time to really get there. Um, you know, maybe eventually CrossFit will be like that. We're like, hey, if you want to be better in CrossFit, you better been playing since you performing CrossFit since you were like 10 or 9. Uh, I don't think CrossFit's there yet, but, you know, it could be in the future as, as, uh, as how much it's grown. Uh, was it all the gym? It was like I needed these ten years for national champion. Yeah, yeah, something like right. that. But they just start; they start so young, and, and that goes back to it. It's like you know, you have to put in years of work, and when you say for, you, to get to get elite, we have to, to right. put in years of work to get like to an elite level. So if you if you are listening and you are like a college kid who had like all your responsibilities are school related and you can just train. Incessantly, that's the audience that we're talking about. But it takes time; it takes many, many years. For the general fitness population, keep your exercise varied, keep your intensities and volumes varied, and have fun. Like, you know, I think it's important that we explain like who we're trying to have benefit from this. But um, you know, while, while yeah, I, they still really they, they benefit a lot from periodic programming. That's the cool thing is like this idea of sustainable training; everyone can benefit. from Absolutely everything. So that's why we really like it. And the end goal might just be. Yeah. And like, but even for an Olympian who might have that quadrennial a certain years out, it's like they started where it was like they were youth athletes or junior athletes for training. For the so. Yeah. Yeah. So what's coming up next for strength ratio? Do you guys got any uh, any big plans for the future? Anything new and exciting? Uh, cookie well, teachers, so we, I heard that. Yeah, definitely. Cookie cookie um, so, world domination. We recently, <laughs> we re, so we recently just released. Um, this is like not a pitch at all because it's free. Yeah, uh, but we have. Um, I guess, but it's um, we just have free uh, period. Like just so people know what we're talking about. We've created weightlifting plans and general strength plans that involve periodized programming, involve a balance of uh, different planes of motion and intensities um, in both not just the strength, but the cardio features too. So it'd be really appropriate for a CrossFitter right after the open. So because we work with athletes on a very individualized level, that's a little bit of a higher price point. So if people don't have the wall for that or they don't know if individualized coaching is for them, we're committed to just making as much free content to help as many of the people who are not directly on the team as possible. So it's kind of what we're up to now in addition to expanding the uh, uh, remote and on-site to progressively more people. Yeah, really making, making more content out there, uh, building the strength ratio team, both athletes and coaches at some point, and uh, building the, the gym as well. And, all, and you have to come with, we have like we have two athletes here this week and we'll have I think five next week, but it's wow. cool because our we get to come and yeah. mingle with our people in Asheville, North Carolina. Which yeah, we have to get down are. here sometime. You know what? I have, I grew up, uh, so my cottage uh, is kind of like an hour away from where I live and right across the bay from me is, are these kids that are from North Carolina. And yeah, like I've never gone to go visit them or seen them 
kind of like where they live and they've they've came you know like up to to ottawa because it was only an hour away from the cottage and things like that so i i think i'm due for a trip down for sure yeah so you're, you're in ottawa right now yeah um yeah the weather is much warmer right? i i have a, i i knew you're in canada i didn't know where but i have a weightlifter out of canada and she'll just like she'll send me screenshots of what the weather's like and i'm just like yeah, it's crazy. We got so much snow this year. It was we're actually, uh, we're actually trying to plan like a training camp for the fall. So. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna have to make my way down. So, wh- where can people find you? They want to find those those templates. They want to sign up. Uh, they want to hear more about the about the individualized uh, programs. Where can they go? If they go to strengthratiohq.com, uh, like headquarters, strengthratiohq com. They can find uh, where we are on site if they're anywhere in North Carolina, specifically Western North Carolina. That's that's the background. Sorry, there's a chunk outside. Um, and uh, uh, on the website too, they can learn more about our remote offerings as well. So, uh, at Strength Ratio is on Instagram and. They can look for us on YouTube, which is where we're trying to pump out a lot of our latest content. So just search Strength Ratio on YouTube. All right. Well, thanks for joining the show today. And to everyone kind of listening in, um, I hope they wait for the cookies and think about training sustainable. Thanks for having us. Hey, guys, just a reminder that if you enjoy any of the episodes, I encourage you to leave a review and share your thoughts. I'm super engaged on social and love when you guys hit me up at Natalie Alport with your thoughts or just to say hi. This podcast would not be possible without you guys, the listeners. So thank you so much. I'm really grateful. All In is brought to you by 93 Agency. 93 Agency helps your business grow. 93 Agency's mission is to help businesses realize their full potential through providing services that enable them to reach audiences in creative and valuable ways. 93 Agency specializes in digital marketing and social media management. 93 Agency generates leads, improves credibility, and increases customer loyalty, all while saving your business valuable time and costs. Check 93 Agency out at 93agency.com or follow on social media at 93agency. For more awesome content, head to my website at www.natalieallport.com and follow me on social media at Natalie Allport. Thanks for listening.